follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I am Shad here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you? Uh, doing good, Chad. Uh, I'm doing good. I'm glad to hear it. We want to say thank you to everybody out there joining us. First, uh, we'll get our shout-outs taken care of. The first one is going to go to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand, collarandelbowbrand.com. Use the promo code Four Corners Podcast. That's a number four, capital C in Corners, capital P in Podcast, no spaces, to save 10% off your order. I actually just got a delivery of my, I ordered one of their St. Patrick's Day shirts, Collar and Elbow, the Irish Whip shirt. Um, it looks great. Came real quick. Uh, printed on great soft fabric. Can't argue with that. So, our other shout out uh, means I hand the ball over to Matt. Yeah, that would be to Orlando Cologne. You know, Orlando Cologne is a, he's still younger, but if he was around the 80s, I think he'd be a perfect fit for uh, Jim Crockett Promotions. Oh, Matt, that sounds like a segue. It's something of a segue. <laughs> <laughs> so I believe the curse struck us again, didn't it, Brad? I, was that a Thursday or if, I don't remember what day. I think it was Thursday. Was it Thursday? Yeah. So what? What I was shocked about was how young he was. Well, hang on. What happened? So Jim Crockett Jr. Um, passed away Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah. Um, I didn't read what what it was from or if they knew. Uh, I did not see what it was from. Oh, did we mention? I don't think we mentioned on the show. Um, also, Josephus, aka the question oh, mark, had wow. passed away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, around Josephus. the last week or two. Yeah, I can't remember if that if he had passed away. I think he had passed away by last podcast, and we just didn't I mention think, it. I think we just forgot. Yeah, he had. They um, Dutch Mantel said he had like some sort of aneurysm. Oh. Yeah, it's it was very sudden. He was not. Um, he was like our up. age. Yeah, he was not a very old. Uh, he's not a very old guy. He was he was relatively very young, and I mean obviously with the passing of like Brody Lee, yeah. like there was a lot of of John Hoover. Like there was a lot of love uh, for him, and rightfully so. Uh, but I mean people do still die in the wrestling business, and you know, they don't maybe get as much attention because they were kind of they flew under the radar. But uh, he was someone who was kind of just really finding his rhythm, yeah. or he had found his rhythm doing the whole question mark gimmick uh we talked about the question mark gimmick on this show like he was he was really like a, a favorite of ours um yeah. and unfortunately with covid like things got shut down so we really didn't get his chance to see them but they're they're bringing they're bringing the nwa back i think they have a show i forget exactly when but it's it's booked in the next few weeks 
and obviously he would have been a, a big part of the NWA continuing and that just had like a an aneurysm or stroke something like that it's it was very sudden and very quick a lot of people were really upset about it obviously um Billy Corgan he, uh, he also left behind his yeah he has a son. son yeah uh, someone who was actually posting quite a bit about it and did uh, did a couple of tributes to him was uh, was Thunder Rosa because in her time in the NWA she I guess had become good friends with him and they had actually they had a little like uh, kayfabe uh, kind of storyline or thing they were going on where question mark uh, was basically like uh, had a little crush on or something on Thunder Rosa. And she kind of reciprocated it. Uh, so that was like a really just funny, like cute thing, like little bit that they were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, you know, that's it's not going to continue. Yeah. yeah. It's really sad. Like he was a, I liked him quite a bit. Yeah, I did too. It's sad that it's sad that he was finally kind of getting some, some, um, like some shit, like some prominence and like a showcase for himself. Yeah, and he had found a way <clears throat> to make, honestly, what's rather a, a pretty silly gimmick work so well. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, it, in a really kind of minimalist fashion, it was, it was pretty impressive. Yeah. But, so then, um, going back to Jim Crockett Jr., I was actually shocked that he was only 76 years old. Is that it? Yes. Yeah, because so he was so um, his father passed away in '73, so he would have taken over. He would have taken over the Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling at about 28 years old, and then he would have sold an '88 to Turner and pretty much been out of the ownership business by the age of 43. Wow. But I forget, like, when you go back, though, I mean, he looks older. Like, I always kind of assumed, like, watching the stuff in the 80s that he was, like, in his 50s or late 40s. But I forget when you go back, like, um, 40 doesn't – 40 then doesn't necessarily look like 40 now. It seems to me that a lot of the fashion of the time seemed to make people look older. You know, like you, you look at him, you'd be like, "Oh, this is," you know, he looks like, um, <clears throat> you know, he looks like he's this age. Well, he, he he wasn't, but you know, the way he dressed and that sort of stuff, you're like, that that looks like the way older people dress. I I think too, though, with like how much medicine's advanced, I think people just do look younger in general now than they did back. In those days, I think I think the fact that people don't smoke helps yeah. that too. That's uh, it reminds me of a line from Scrubs. It's like, "How old are you? Forty? Forty-three? But that's just because I, you know, work with chemical chemicals and smoke and sleep on my face." But I think his um his influence, well, his and his promotions influence. Especially on the '80s and early '90s, it really is um, something you can't deny. Yeah. Because I mean, he's he's technically the father of WCW. 
Yeah. That's true. Yeah. It's true. And he really um he really ushered Mid Atlantic away from being like a tag team territory into being like a prominent a prominent promotion in North America where like which was literally like a who's who of people coming through over the years. So for this we kind of we kind of we kind of deviated a little bit and we were doing some matches but we brought in some angles. Mm-hmm. So what we have here is we have um we have a clip from 1976 of Ric Flair versus Wahoo McDaniel. I think at a house show. It looks very mm-hmm. house showy. And then we have um, an angle with Wahoo McDaniel and Abdullah the Butcher. And then we have a match with Sergeant Slaughter and Jake Roberts. And mm-hmm. then we have a match with Roddy Piper and Jack Briscoe. Then we have a Ric Flair promo. And then we have Ric Flair versus Ronnie Garvin from well, they were from a t- from the early TBS days mm-hmm. for for JCP. So. Why don't we kick this off with um, the the Ric Flair versus Wahoo McDaniel match? Um, so for co- some context for this, this is from 1976. This is probably within six months of the plane crash that broke Flair's back, mm. and he's about four years into his career at this point. And you can kind of tell from his body, he's still got some of that bulk from his early career because he's a much bulkier. What was the name from that point? Ramblin' Rick Rockus or something like that? Was that his early gimmick? Might have been. That might have been his AWA thing. I think it was. He was a he was a bulky. He was a big boy. Yeah. He was. Yeah. I wonder when he slimmed down. He, he looks um, like he's he's slimmer than he looks like in his early AWA pictures where he looks like a power lifter. You mm-hmm. can tell he's slimmed down. I think because of. I think he slimmed down a bit because of the um, the plane crash. I think it made it easier to work for him, and I'm wondering if that's why he continued to slim down. But you can tell like he's he's somewhere between like those bulky like early pictures where he's obviously in his early 20s, and like this, and like what he becomes. Yeah, I I an expert, but it seems maybe like in the like the early 80s is when he really slimmed down but then he got probably he was probably like this the slimmest he was in like the early 90s yeah really much that. i think being slimmer probably also helped with his back because that i mean that that wreck is why you would see him take so many back bumps kind of to one side or the other uh uh, on his, you know, for his back, he, you know, he'd, he'd take the back bump, but instead of taking it flat, he'd be off on one side or another. And, um, he, uh, it, you know, if he's dropping weight and his cardio is just, you know, uh, crazy, like it's purported to be, then, um, he's, you know, dropping weight is, is only work, you know, he's, it's, it's less pressure on his back but it's also kind of playing into a strength that he has. Um, so. It's it's funny because I was so I was reading a bit about Wahoo McDaniel before this. Mm-hmm. Who, um, Wahoo McDaniel played in the NFL for like nine years, and um, he he won the AFL championship with uh, I think no it wasn't the Dolphins. Oh crap, who was it? Um, he played for the Jets um, when Joe Namath was there. He's 
so he got his nickname because he had that on his jersey and i guess the the announcer would say who made the tackle and the crowd would like chant wahoo oh yeah but i guess he was training to he was doing like pro wrestling training in um in the off season just to, like stay in shape mm-hmm. and um they had it on his wikipedia i guess jim barnett called him to work indianapolis and his response was and i guess he said this in an interview years later he's like he's like jim barnett called me and wanted an indian wrestler so i guess i'm a pro wrestler no and <laughs> and i like that i like the offer so i guess i'm a pro wrestler now <laughs> so then he bulked up jim, and, jim jim barnett yeah yeah wahoo my boy <laughs> I knew somebody was gonna do it. I wasn't sure which one of us it would be. But so he um he bulked up and it affected his pro football career negatively and he did both for a while, but he cared more about wrestling because it paid like a crap load more in the sixties. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. a funny story that Bill Watts was his friend and Bill Watts got in because he went to the bank to ca- when he cashed a wrestling check once and saw how much like he like how much the check was for. Mm-hmm. Because I'm thinking Wait, that... Watts said in like 60s money it was like for like three grand or something. <laughs> that got Watson or that got Watts. That got Watson because Watts was playing football wow. and wasn't making squat. And then he saw what like Wahoo got on a wrestling check. Yeah. Well, if you um, if you think about it, if you're just like a not to d- d- kind of disparage it, but if you're just like a utility guy in the NFL. You know, you, you've got a position, but you're not, you know, the star. This yeah. is before, long before the days of, like, big sponsors, sponsorships and things like that. Oh, this was, like, the 60s. You weren't making fuck yeah. all in Yeah, the you, you're, you're probably making enough to, like, you know, live, but you're, you're not, unless you're, like, the the top guy, you probably don't have, like, that great of a, a deal, so. Now, you're probably making, like, $50,000 a year, which is, um, in, in the 1960s. 1960s money was very good yeah yeah but that's not like you're not you're not you're not gonna play football for eight years and make fifty thousand dollars a year and and never work again like you're gonna have to get a job after that yeah mm-hmm. was it on didn't a few guys do that i think ernie ladd did the whole like did wrestling in the off season things like that i think he yeah he did because he was a charger i think yeah uh the team he played for yeah, he might have. He played yeah. for the Chargers. He played for a, a, a like an, a West Coast team. So I think yeah, it was he, either the Chargers was, or the Rams. He was with the Chargers. He actually played in like four championship games. Oh wow! With the Chargers, yeah, he's like, he's like in their Hall of Fame. Like he's a uh, he was a big deal for them. Ernie Cat, that's big cat. Ernie Ladd is a guy who I probably should try and see more of. I mean, he was a big dude. His promos it, are great. It's so interesting to to hear about how people who ended up with just some, you know, some of the best wrestling minds, how they got in and where they came in. You know, the fact that that Bill Watts got into it because he saw Wahoo McDaniel cash a big check and then all of a sudden, you know, later on, what is it? Bill Watts is, is one of the guys who understands the business better than than, you know most people do and Ernie Ladd and stuff like that. That's it's just so interesting where they come from. Mm-hmm. And then you have guys that are there forever and they still don't get it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So this yeah. is, um, 
my annoyance with this match is that it's not all there because they cut it cuts off right about when it's getting good. The um, Flair Wahoo. Yeah, so this yeah. is pretty much they they'll exchange blows a bit. But Flair will bail out, and then there's some flurries. Um, Wahoo gets a nice flurry of offense, and then Flair does like the flip, and then gets his leg caught on the top rope, and he's like flipping out because he's stuck, which was pretty yeah. hilarious. But um, this was fun for what it was. There just wasn't a lot of it. See, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut you off, Matt. I'll get no, this you're, out you're real fine. quick. The thing that got me is I'm watching this, and like the 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 copy of the video I was watching was only like eight minutes long. So we go like like five minutes without actually anyone taking a bump. They're just kind of wailing on each other. And it's so weird later on to see Ric Flair as the one not throwing the chops. Um, you know, it's almost six minutes before we get what you would call a wrestling move. And I don't know. It's it's just it, it, it it's so different from what I'm used to out of Flair that it it threw me a little bit. I was just kind of what. Well, he's not. Why is he not? He's not throwing chops. The other, you know, Wahoo's throwing throwing chops and flares kind of throwing like the club and forearm thing. Well, this is probably also just for other context. This is probably like the first big push like Flair is getting in his career. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Matt. What were you going to say? Uh, I do agree with, uh, with Brad. I did. I think for what this was, was it was actually very good. Uh, one thing I did notice that I thought was really good. You're right. Like they didn't really, it was like a few minutes before they actually started using wrestling moves. But mm-hmm. this is something that I guess is kind of a theme with the, the stuff we watched uh, for tonight's show. But there is a lot that's done with a little, and that's very, it's very old school perspective, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's like nowadays, I know it's not griping, like, cause obviously like there's, we are, for, especially in the, the modern era, just stuff that's airing now, like contemporaneously, you can find an absolute, just ridiculous amount of good wrestling. And because of the era we're in, it's so easily available. Like if you have an internet connection, basically you can find a way to watch it. Mm-hmm. Whereas back in the day, it's like you either had to guess occasionally catch this on television or you had to see it live. And I'm not trying to make it like an old school versus a new school thing. Cause obviously there's a lot of stuff that's done now that we complain about like, well, you know, this doesn't make sense. The psychology is wrong or it's needlessly flashy, things like that. Mm-hmm. But I just would really appreciate it. Like if you take a step back and watch this, like the amount of heat they could generate and in terms of like the psychology of the match, how important things like a simple punch would be. Like they would, Mm -hmm. you know, you could have Wahoo like punch or chop flare and it would be like one move. And then just the way the move is done. And then the way that flair reacts to it just sells it and people get riled up. And it's like literally a punch or chop, just one move. But it's that, but that psychology. I mean, you're a wor- you were a worker, like you knew how it is. Like literally, you can have people on the edge of their seat just by having like a dude punch another dude mm-hmm. if you do it right. And that's mm-hmm. the, the 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 strikes looked very. That's one thing I really like. The strikes looked so like impressive. They look like this is 
I know it's all like work, but it's like they look like I'm really punching this dude in the face. <laughs> they and looked it, rough. Yeah, they looked rough. They looked a little snug. And then Flair like selling it, uh, just the way he was selling it. It's again like you take a chop, and then it's like you like fall to the floor, but mm-hmm. not in a dramatic, overly exaggerated fashion. Like a legit, like yeah. like someone would do if you got punched in the face. Like it was very. It seemed a little more like gritty and realistic. Yeah. Uh, and- and it needs to be said, Wahoo. I know. I know. If you're not into old footage, like he kind of starts fading out when I think people really started like seeing a lot of stuff and it started hitting cable. But Wahoo is like also just a fantastic worker. I haven't seen enough of him, Matt. To piggyback on what you were saying about how you can you can do so much working with just you know, a punch or something like that. <clears throat> part, I mean, you know, big, like you said, a big part of that is if it's sold properly. And I hate to be this guy, but part of the blame that I have to lay on this, I, I feel like I have to lay at the feet of Steve Austin because, you know, after, after he got hurt, Austin's ring work, like his cardio was insane, but what was it? Punch, punch, punch. You know, whip, thez press, punch, 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 bring him up to the corner, punch, 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 take him to the other corner, punch, 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 bring him to the middle, punch, 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 you know, take some bumps, get up, punch, 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 kick, wham, stunner. And then all of a sudden, it just became filler. And as opposed to, like, everybody. The problem there is, is they, they tried to, they tried to push a style that worked to his strengths while protecting his, um, I mean, he was. I'm surprised. I'm honestly shocked, in hindsight, knowing like what we kind of know now that Austin actually lasted as long as he did as a main eventer because his neck was fucked. It was. Yeah. But y- you're right. Other people were aping it because it was working so well for Austin. But now, you know, it devalues a whole bunch of stuff, right? Like, <clears throat> in one thing that. Like there was a there was a combo spot that I had where I'd throw like three jabs, and if I was a babyface, I'd wind up and do a bionic elbow because I thought it was fun. And if I was a heel, instead of throwing a punch, I'd throw a throat strike. All I'm doing is instead of throwing a punch at the head, a closed fist to the head, I'm throwing an open hand towards the throat. But what happens when you do that is you throw that and the other guy grabs his throat and he drops to his knees or he stumbles and he goes because everybody's had something press on their throat and make them you know feel like that. I didn't have to do a big thing, right? <clears throat> like for that that particular sequence, you just pop, 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 bam. There's the there's the throat thrust, and you know the guy does that, but it. Yeah, it feels like that unless striking is like a big part of your gimmick now, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean much because people don't, you know, part of it is people don't sell it. And then a lot of people grew up in the era where it's like, you know, punches or forearm shots or filler between doing other things. It's like, well, chops are still like the the reason everybody stops between chops is those suckers hurt. The reason everybody takes a big chop and then kind of bends forward and goes, oh, is because it hurts. Yeah, we, we will see later <laughs> the effect, effectiveness of chops and punches. There was um, 
one guy that I knew. I did a, um, I did a, uh, a, a show I was on. The main event had this two ring battle royal. It, you know, if you have a, a valid license for the state, you can come be part of the battle royal, but you're not getting paid for being on the show thing, right? Somebody, this new guy, pissed off a bunch of people in the course of the match and got the living hell chopped out of him. Like, red chest, like, the the biggest chop he took, you could see the handprint where it landed. Like, that will jack you up. And he started trying to complain about it, and a bunch of people, myself included, are like, dude, you know full well what you did and that you shouldn't have done it. Don't try and play the victim. Like, no, this this doesn't work. Um, I would think as far as getting a receipt, that seems to be like pretty harmless in the grand scheme of things. It kind of depends on who's doing it. Um, I mean, out of all the things, like, yeah, it's going to hurt, but like they're not giving you a black eye. They're not knocking a tooth out. Like, uh, okay, that's fair enough. Like, then it's nothing sociopathic. They're just kind of giving you, they're giving you kind of like just something that's gonna sting like a motherfucker for a day or two. Yeah. The, okay, one of the rules, at least that I was aware of, is if you throw the first chop in a match, you're going to get a receipt for that. And but I didn't like throwing them, so my usual thing was if you're gonna put me in the corner and, and chop me. Then real soon I'm gonna put you in the corner and I'm gonna give you some roundcast kicks to the body that you're gonna remember. Like I'm not trying to maim you, but if you if you're gonna do this, I'm gonna give it back. And um, you know that's hey, that's what may, I've always the, said about um, guys that work stiff. Like I don't have a problem with guys that are snug if they're if they're willing to. If they're willing to take like what they're dishing out, like because they were, because guys will talk about like Kevin Von Erich and say, you know, you're in there fighting with him, but like, you know, all you did is you just gave it right back to him, and he was fine with that. Which it's just like, well, like I don't like that, and he should be more careful. But like, if a guy is willing to take what he's gonna dish out, like that seems at least some Equitable. sort of fair play. Yeah. Unlike people like low key. God. Uh, but not, I know I'm I know sorry. Cornette talked about um he talked about was it I think it was Con no it wasn't Condry it was someone in Memphis because he talked about they would um Memphis liked to do lumberjack strap matches mm. and mm-hmm. he was managing someone I think it was Adrian Street and his wife and then Cornette. And then they would, I think it was, um, I'm never going to remember. It might have been Lane or, like, Condry or someone. Mm-hmm. No, it was, oh, I just had it for a second. I lost it. Okay, well, I'll stop trying to remember. <laughs> but he said, like, you know, like, they'd go easy on his wife. But, like, if um, if they could get him or Adrian Street, they'd give it to him real good. And one yeah. of the guys liked getting him because he was young. He liked to, like, get him real good and, like, you know, you would just when when the tables were turned, you would just a couple matches later, you just give him an extra couple of 
laid in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that seems that also seems like it hurts, but that also seems like kind of more horseplay than sociopathic. Yeah. That, I, I, I don't think we've ever had anybody ask, but that that's part of the reason I despise Loki so much is that he's going to dish this stuff out. But if you turn around and give it back to him, he covers up and he gets mad that you did it and that sort of thing. It's like, dude, but it, there was an episode once and I wish Cornette would get off of modern wrestling and talk more about this stuff. But he actually he went into on, I think, the drive through once like how like the proper strap and how to get what you want out of it. And you want like, Mm -hmm. you want one, you want one with width because it gives you a good sound and it doesn't fucking hurt. Like a, like he said, like a thin one hurts like a motherfucker and you don't get a good sound out of it. So you want something with a little width (laughs) to it. You remember when we had JR rock on and I referenced the fact that he had the leather strap, that sucker, that leather strap, was is so thick like he's a little bit taller than me but you can't wrap your hand around it is how like he winds it up and carries it around but you can't actually wrap your hand around it you just you you carry it in your hand kind of like it's a quarter pounder like that's how you've got to carry it around so it's it's wide and you know there are ways of working that too but the um you know there are there are ways of getting around it so so up next, we're going to go to um, some big Japan. I mean, oh, no, we're still in mid-Atlantic for this next yeah. one. So this oh, next God. one, this one, I've actually seen the TV around this, so I can provide some context. This was actually the first step. This was actually, they did a recap of this on the first episode on the WWE Network. And the video is actually so screwed up. I wondered, based on what it is, if like they did that on purpose. But even on the network, the, the tape warped like it does. You mean where it but went negative? Is, yeah, that I think looked intentional funny. to me. Yeah. So anyway, this this actually I, I actually really like this angle. So what it is, is, I think it was an I think it was intentional. I agree with Chad. I think they were doing it because it was supposed to be like to highlight how yeah. violent it was. Mm-hmm. But um, so this is pretty much um, Piper and Wahoo are feuding over the Mid Atlantic Championship, and Wahoo, no, the U.S. title. I'm sorry, my bad. I think it's the U.S. title. Um, are feuding over the U.S. title. And Piper couldn't get one over on him, so he hires Abdullah the Butcher to attack Wahoo after a match. And so this is... Abdullah attacks Wahoo. And I mean, this... He's fucking stabbing the shit out of him with that fork. Yeah, he is. He's going to, he's going to town. And he's not working it. He Like, when I, I saw the opening on this clip, the way that he's holding the fork, I'm like, oh, okay, he's working it. And then he adjusts his grip and goes at it again. I'm like... Oh, God, no, he's not. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I imagine knowing the way Wahoo comes across. Wahoo's probably like, like, come on, you bitch, like, stab me. <laughs> well, hey, he got what he wanted then, if, if that's what he said. But, wow, like this, I, actually, I mean, it's really violent, but it's a, gr- it's a great angle, I think. Oh, it would be a great angle, but we were talking about, like, most of what you see in this video is actually where it's kind of shot from behind Abdullah or in like kind of like a, a side back angle. There's and you a couple can see, good shots of the of the stabbing, though. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You can see him bringing the fork down. And then when it would switch to the front view, it would turn to negative. 
I'm convinced they did that because they were like, we can't send this to our TV affiliates like this. We've got to, like, how are we going to cover this up? And someone's like, just flip it to negative because you, you won't be able to see well enough. But people know something's happened. Well, I'm wondering because this is I think this is a recap of the incident because the episode I saw is a recap of the incident. I'm wondering if the original episode is fine, and then for the recap, they... they I don't know. It. Like, remember, know. Um, uh, we're going to go to WWF, where they where they kind of monkeyed with us, too. Remember remember when Ron Bass did the, the boot spur on Brutus Beefcake's head, and they, mm. like, went to black yeah. and white for that? I, I, I... Did I'm they, didn't if... they put, like, a big X or something over her? I think they did that for SummerSlam. I don't remember on the original viewing, but I, I know they did something weird with it. What did they do black and white on? <clears throat> I don't remember that. But yeah, so so I think I think you I, you know you guys might have convinced me that they did that too to cover up how violent it was. Yeah, because that's that's shocking even by like people who've seen like heyday ECW standards. Like that was god awful cringy not you, not cringy that's not the right term that was like stomach turning and you wonder though i mean now you kind of see though how like abdullah had that mystique though yeah yeah you do so anyway like the, the angle that comes out of this is then wahoo has to vacate the u.s title because of the injuries and he's off tv for i think about a month if I was going to take that kind of assault, then I would probably insist on taking a lot of time off, too. It's like, you're going to have me do this. You're going to take me off the – I'm not going to be out there for a while, and you're going to pay me for it. He, they might have done some, like, <laughs> promos where he, like, was bandaged up and stuff, too. I, but um, so what happens is Sergeant Slaughter then wins the U.S. title, like, in a tournament shortly okay. after this. Okay. And then you get like this great like Sergeant Slaughter on top run with a belt. Because so if you if you want to know, so like this was still in the days of the traveling champion, so the world champion didn't appear on TV maybe more than a couple times. So in this era of Mid Atlantic, the United States champion is their de facto top singles. Oh, champion. okay. Okay. Because it's the one you see. Yeah, that's the guy that's there all the time. It's actually gotcha. what's funny about about um triple h and his fetishizing of the nwa is he actually doesn't understand how it works because yeah you had your heel champion for years at a time but if you're in the individual territory you only saw them maybe three times a year and in your local promotion you had a baby face on top most of the time well, and having a heel champion for a long period of time means that that heel has to look vulnerable um yeah yeah like regularly like this is not a dominant heel this is a heel that continuously just gets away by the skin of his teeth yeah but you would only see that you'd only see them maybe for three dates a year and your top face would come up just a little bit short that still made them look good it's not like what the wwe does now or what nxt does where they have the heel champion and the face chasing all the time like it misses the point like a lot of stuff. Well, I'm talking. Well, I'm just talking in general concept. Is if you're going to have a heel champion, and the big story is going to be the chase of who's going to get him, that heel champion is not 
you nine out of ten rule applies here. Like nine out the the one out of ten is like Vader as the heel champion, but um, <clears throat> nine out of ten times the the idea is that the heel is just barely getting away with the win, like just barely yeah. scratching by. Yeah, because they're, if they're eking it out, they're cheating to win something like that. Yeah, because then you're you have a reason to get invested. You have hope that maybe this time he'll lose. But if the heel kicking the crap out of everybody all the time, screw it. You know, there, there's there's no tension. I don't care. I don't want to see it. Triple yeah. H. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so what did you guys think of this, like, as an angle on TV? Oh, oh I thought it was very effective. <laughs> effective, just really hard to watch. wonder if they had people, like, throwing up in the audience. <laughs> I mean, it made it made him look like a monster. Yeah, like he was never really much in the ring, but I mean, I in in that era, that would have got me to buy a ticket. I, I would want to see what sort of mayhem he was gonna do. Mm-hmm. I don't think he ever showed up on TV again after this. Maybe he showed up with Piper <laughs> once. Yeah, it's weird to me to to have someone like Abdullah show up and do this and then not bring him back around, you know, it, cause he might've, he might've like come back around for like the house show circuit and like Wahoo might've beaten him on like a circuit of shows. But like it was, he was kind of like, he was kind of coming in and like, he was kind of like a bit player and like Wahoo and Piper's, yeah, you know, issue. Well, that was kind of Abby's deal as he would go from territory to territory and show up as this gun and he would do, you know, he would mangle whoever he's going up against. And then the story was that whoever he did that to would, would come around and finally defeat him and then go after whoever brought him in. So to not pay that off, like you said, on a house show circuit, like okay, I get that. You go around, you go around the loop, you beat Abby around the loop. Everybody's happy, but to not pay it off where the wider audience sees it's odd to me. Well, you have to remember though, this is this is early '80s, and um, when you watch early '80s TV for most promotions, like you're essentially watching an infomercial for the live shows. Okay, I, I forget about stuff like that sometimes so so like so like they might do some promos on tv for it <laughs> but the, the the point of the tv in this era is to get you to buy a ticket to go and see it live like that's where you go to uh, see the it, matches that's fair and like most of like the payoffs are off screen and stuff so um so what do you guys want to do next do you want to do sergeant slaughter versus jake roberts or um piper and briscoe because they happened I think Piper and Briscoe, I'm not sure the exact date of. I think it was in the the spring or early summer of 82. And then um, Sarge and Jake is August of 82. What do you think, Matt? Uh, I would say, let's go with Jake, just because Jake Slaughter. Okay. Okay. Uh, just because I, I feel like I liked the other match more okay okay so this is a this is probably like a tv main event now this is not jake the snake roberts this is just jake roberts he's kind of like doing the cowboy 
he's kind of doing a cowboy gimmick at this point. And um, he's kind of a mid Carter. And you kind of mm-hmm. can tell by this match, it's a, it's obviously like a top end heel against like about maybe uh, an upper tier mid Carter, but a mid Carter nonetheless. Okay. Um, the, yeah, at watching this, it's, what's the, the, the term I'm looking for? Like Jake is, is serviceable here, but uh, not terrifically stand out, I guess. Like he's bland. Yeah. A little bit bland. He does fine, but it, it doesn't show any inkling of what, what we know of him from down the line. I would never say Jake was particularly a good in-ring guy, even right. at his best. It doesn't showcase any of his strengths. That's what I should say. He might be, he might at his best, I would classify him as a step or two above mediocre. Like all of his stuff was psychology and, and like promoing. Mm-hmm. I th- but I would never have called him like, I would never have called him like a super worker or like um, anything in-ring wise. I feel like I want to disagree with that. I I would generally agree he's not like a flare or a steamboat no. or something like or Dan, even like a Daniel Bryan. So like I wouldn't. He's not at that level. But I feel like I would. I wouldn't call him mediocre. I think. I think he could be a little bit better than that. But he. I'm talking I, purely technical in ring. Like I think like promo wise he's top notch. I think his psychology and timing in the ring is pretty good, but like, you know, I don't. He wasn't particularly athletic. Um, he yeah, but he okay. was like he was tall and lanky, and he had like. So I mean, like you, you can get by in wrestling if you, if you don't have like the super athletic physique, if you have like a unique look, and I feel like he had like a a, a unique enough look. Yeah. I think he's he's also, he's also like much, much bigger than people give him credit for. Like he's a really he was really a tall guy and. Mm-hmm. He had, some, at, he had some bulk to him. Not here. He was he. He was real he still skinny had, here. He had that here. He still kind of has that. Um, I don't know how old he was here. Well, he had that kind of youthful uh, leanness to him here. He didn't have like yeah. that man bulk to him quite yet. Yeah. yeah. He um. Yeah, he wasn't even. He was like still in his twenties at this point. But he yeah, he was a dude. I think because he was so tall, he had more of like a lanky look. But he was probably one of those guys that if you actually in his heyday like stood next to him, he would have been like big yeah, yeah i think pretty so. big like uh i mean i i feel like i want to give him more credit and say he's better than mediocre but he also like the, the his gimmick and like the style he was working like he didn't he didn't need to be like no uh you know super technical worker guy he was it, and it, he got he um i think when he got to wwe he 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 you know, dumbed it down. I think in like mid south and some of that stuff, he was, he was decent. But then when you get to like post WWE, he's like fat and on drugs, so you can't really. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's kind of like just shitty then. So it's it's hard to tell with him because I just think he never, like it it never aligned properly for him to be clean and in like an environment that would force him to be like a good entering worker outside of like uh mid-south i think the biggest fault that this match has is that it does not play to any of his strengths 
um, you don't you don't get to see a lot of that stuff. You don't get to see any of that here that we know he's capable of from later on, I guess. Or maybe he's still learning it. I don't know. This is more about making <laughs> Slaughter look good, though, and like giving him a little shine in the process. Yeah. I got to say, in watching this, like I love how Sarge is in the ring because on one hand, he works like the, the big, mean bully kind of heel, but on the other hand, he bumps well enough to look vulnerable. So he's walking this line between he's vulnerable, but he's also the this big bully in the ring. And I just I love that balance. He got he got like there's a back body drop Jake did on him and he got some serious air. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he bumped on that snapmare pretty good, too. Like he gave that like there's a bit of an exaggerated bump in there, but like he he did a good. Like he gave Jake only got a little bit of offense, but Slaughter made it all look good. Yeah, it all looked really good. And I, I like that Slaughter didn't finish him with his finisher. He kind of just finished him with a clo- like a like a well-timed clothesline. Yeah. Countering Jake's signature move. Um so, you know, it makes it makes him look cunning to do it that way. Yeah, this was I think I think if you saw this at a show, like, now you'd, like, crap on it and say, ah, that sucked. But I think for being on TV at the time, this was better than what you'd see most weeks. I would not say it sucks. Go Go ahead, Matt. I think it's a perfectly fine TV match. Yeah, I think so. It it doesn't have to be, you know, big and impressive for it to be solid. And this was solid. It did its job. Yeah, and and that's you know what that's fine. Sometimes that's all you need. So then we're gonna go to our next one, which there's a lot going on in the next part. So this is this is Rowdy Roddy Piper versus um, Jack Briscoe, <laughs> and um, so the gimmick here is kind of I think Piper is the champion because he had the belt, but he was only going to wrestle Jack Briscoe if he got ten grand. Yep. Yeah. He won. No, he and got ten some, grand. Yeah, there's some stuff at the very beginning about that. Where he and he, they give him you know like a wad of cash at the beginning, and he's like, "You guys are scum. You guys are scum. This is not ten thousand dollars." And so then Wahoo and uh, Ricky Steamboat come, and they, they they each play two grand each to complete the ten grand. It's a great little angle. It it's really is like very clever, and it, it allowed Piper to kind of get his. Uh, you know, some of his promo skills over. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was very, um, he was, I, love, I liked him better than I love than, his. I was going to say, I like him better here than in WWE. There's something less sanitized and more um, visceral and real about his promo work here. Piper is playing a, he's playing a paranoid maniac here that he's making the face give up something just just to get in the ring with him and whenever they go to do that he tears that down too like he he is entirely reprehensible in this highly entertaining frantic paranoid way and i like how he made the referee hold his belt and money because infant threatened him if like either turned up missing and he also made wahoo and 
and Steamboat leave the ringside area, and he wanted, like, if they came out at all, he won. Yeah. Because he's, he's, he's thrown around all the bridge he can, and he's pushing his champion advantage, and it because he, he's paranoid. He's like, I think this guy can actually beat me, and now he's... I didn't think he could actually, you know, put up what I was demanding, and now I've got to do this. And so he's panicking. Um, yeah, it, it's it's really fun to watch. And then the match itself, what I liked about the match is they keep it really simple but effective mm-hmm. on the match because a lot of it is Jack Briscoe working a headlock, which I've only seen a little bit of Jack Briscoe because sadly, like, not a ton of his work survives. There's one on all Japan classics. It's a long match with him and Dory Funk jr. That's really good. But, um, here he's, you know, he's Mm -hmm. very smooth in the ring. Um, I liked his selling. I like that. The high spot in this was like Piper kind of bounced him off the turnbuckle out of, a in it while he was in a headlock and like, then like suplexed him onto his back. And it's really. It's... I was going to say, say, do you think it's fair to say that like a third of this match was overworking that headlock? I'd say so. Or this match. I... Uh, there's not a lot to this match. I actually liked it a lot, but there wasn't a lot to it. If you want something flashy, this isn't it because no. it, it's it really is like a third of this match. is like Briscoe working a head headlock. It made a, a certain amount of conceptual sense, but it still also is like you you got to watch a guy like work a rest hold essentially. But this um this kind of to, to kind of compare to the earlier match with Flair and Wahoo, this is another one of those matches that they did you know very little, but it mattered a lot. Uh, like he they would throw punches and. The- would be like just the way they reacted it would it had importance behind it you know like briscoe would like throw a punch to piper and piper would just go like wobbly legged and go down or mm-hmm. it was very like it's very different than kind of some of the modern day stuff where it's like you know guys trade punches and it's like nothing doesn't they don't even like sell it half the time but everything was done with like really like a lot of importance yeah yeah, yeah there there was no nothing in this that like throw away or filler. Mm-hmm. And and when I say they spent a third of the match working a headlock, I don't mean it's like he had a headlock on he would crank on. Like they're seriously working a story around Piper just trying to get out of this headlock and how much it's taking out of. That's an it that's a great point cuz it was the headlock and which is like one of the most, you know, simple moves in terms of wrestling. People are like, "Oh, a headlock." But they told the story around it. Like they they made it that he's cranking on Piper's like straight out of it. it it had more of an actual realistic feel like this is something that this guy has to get out of or he may have to actually submit and they made it seem like not to make it like MMA because it's not MMA but think of it like, like you have to think in those terms like because you're trying to suspend disbelief this is actual real athletic competition a combat sport so they're working ahead like like headlock like this is an MMA hold like he's got him in an MMA hold and Piper is just struggling at by trying to fight and get his way out of it mm-hmm. and so that that's why i said it made conceptual sense like they actually there was legit psychology that they were putting into it 
did you ever wrestle when you were a teenager with your buddies and you got that one you can slap the headlock on and hold it and you can't get out of it yeah like that's what the, that's what happened here and most guys that i at least that i know of and i'm gonna include like know what it's like trying to work your way out of something like like it's rough and it hurts and it sucks and so it was it was easy to identify with and people are just thrilled that he's got this locked on Piper and Piper can't get out of it. Just just grinding him down. It's you know I know it's just it's it's just a headlock right like mm-hmm. heck Foley used just doing headlocks to troll ECW crowds, which cracks me the hell up. But like it them doing it that way was was clever. Like especially it, it especially worked for the time. Nowadays, I don't know. Like maybe some people could pull it off, but you know, wrestling's changed a little bit. So I, I don't know if you could you could pull the same thing. But it really the, the works. The problem here. now is is guys think that the version of this is doing like worked MMA in the ring, which always looks like garbage because people know what like actual. MMA looks like. Mm-hmm. Well, and people that haven't done it don't know how to sell it. Yeah, that too. Yeah, like if you've never done grappling or anything like that, you don't know how to sell what they're going for. So, you know, I don't know that. My... Um, to go back to that though, when we watched, um, that's been a while now. The Timothy Thatcher low key match from MLW had shades of this though, because that was a lot of um Thatcher working key's leg mm-hmm. and keeping him on the ground and that he, worked in the, that context like but i mean there there was some high spots thrown in there but like it was a fairly grounded match yeah yeah but that he's doing recognizable pro wrestling holds so yeah. you know it, it worked and but there are so many people you know a a you know, you slap on it. They think that, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to work around this. I mean, I'm going to slap on a rear chin lock and we're going to stay on the mat. And it's going to it's going to get heat because people are going to get mad. They're like, no, they're getting bored. Yeah, they didn't do that in this match. They were moving around a lot. The problem, I think, too, now, though, is is like guys, guys don't get it sometimes like they would slap that chin lock in and they'd stay there forever. And like they their idea of working the hold would be like moving their arm around a bit like they pull like a randy orton whereas like like with this like they reset every now and then like it was kind of like um mike quackenbush and eddie kingston where quack was smart enough to change the visual every so often yeah like just doing variations of the same hold kind of thing yeah yeah and and i think that 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 plays a big difference but i also think like they're doing a good job with this too, the way they're doing the headlock spot. Yeah. Because they were building this very well that Jack Briscoe obviously had Piper's number. Mm-hmm. And obviously had one over on him. But, you know, this is also where, like, the world championship meaning something because, you know, Jack Briscoe is a former world champion and, you know, he's, like, won all this, this stuff in, like, mid Atlantic. So he had all this history on his side to, like, put this, like, young punk in his place mm-hmm. and um and they also did a good job i also think why 
why the way they built this is important is because you need you need Jack Briscoe to obviously be superior for the ending to like actually have impactful meaning and to keep the crowd going because this is this is where the WWE goes wrong a lot of times is when they do a fuck finish they don't they don't remember to make the face look better mm-hmm. in the process it's just it's the heel wins and it's not like the heel cheats and then wins the heel doesn't cheat and then barely barely get by Mm. Um, yeah. Let me. Uh, I love this finish, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah well, I, I love. Too. I love. Well, what I love though is so. So the finish is pretty much. Um, Piper puts a roll of quarters in his hand, which is old school. I did see this live at a WCW it's show. It's so once. old school. I love it. it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, he he clocks him with the 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 roll of quarters. And um, there's a line I love at the end because I think it was Bob Cottle. It might have been David Crockett though that told Piper, "Hey, you still got some. Mo- you left some money in the ring." And they they go they shoot to the ring and you can see like the roll of quarters busted and some quarters in the yeah. ring. That was and great because Piper and just he just rolls with it and he's such a like an immaculate heel in this. He's like, "I I didn't do that. Like someone must have been throwing those in the ring." <laughs> I don't know I where that it. came from. A yeah. fan must have thrown the ring. I don't know where it came from. But I love I love Piper. Like he's like laying against the wall, like gasping for air, and he's got like he's got like the the belt in his lap and like this pile of money. He's like he's like, I'm the champion and I got the money. Yeah. Oh, and he's such a dick about it. Oh yeah. Oh he is. <laughs> such a he's... dick. He's so good in this. It, that's why I actually really like this. He's such a good heel in this. Yeah. It, it's He's such a douche. Yes, yeah. it's so much and, fun to watch. And I loved his um, I loved his plaid um trunks when he wrestled back in this era. Oh yeah. Uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna admit something about Piper. I love Piper. And even after all these years, I know this. I've seen him do it time and again. But there's still part of me that's like looks at him using the sleeper hold as a finish and there's just it just doesn't in my head seem to quite fit for someone as as frantic and high energy as as piper was using the sleeper hold i was and i guess it's just legacy from from earlier in his career or something but it's just kind of like you know it 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 both i think doesn't and i i'm i'm like ah it's so hard for me to put this together I think though um, someone like Piper and his character would want to put you to sleep though. It's it's about superiority, but I don't know. It, it just it, it it's like whenever you're trying to drive the the hexagon piece through the round the round slot in the board. You could get it to work, but it at least to me it doesn't just seem to quite fit. But no, that's that's a me thing. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I, this is really good, though. I I I hadn't seen this before. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a lot of the TV around this time. I think that I don't remember this though, because I don't think I got quite this far into '82. Mm-hmm. But I've seen like I've seen a, this, but um, I I had a lot of fun with this because they have a feud. Like so, they they trade the Mid Atlantic Belt back and forth a couple times. Okay. Over like the middle part of 82 
I had not seen this. Uh, I watched this actually with my wife. Um, and during the, the segment where uh, Briscoe has Piper, it, sorry, no, I, I take it back. It's the segment where, where Piper has Briscoe in the sleeper hold. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he it looks like he's got Briscoe out, but he doesn't. My wife is like, oh, just like end the match here. It's getting boring in the match. And I'm like, no, like they don't. You can't end the match because the face needs to make his, his comeback. Like he's got to have like the hope spot. He's got to make a comeback. And sure enough, like a couple minutes later, Briscoe has reversed the hold. He's got Piper in the sleeper hold. And I'm like, look, that that's like the psychology of it. Like the the they the the face. Uh, reversed it. Now he's got the heel on the ropes. Like he's the one who has the upper hand. And she was just like, uh, uh, "It's boring." I'm like, "You're not understanding the psychology." I'm like arguing with her. I'm like, "You're not understanding the psychology of it." That's that's part of the um, the identifying with this. Like you ever wrestle around with people, you know how hard it is to get out of this sort of stuff. And it, that's just not. It, it doesn't seem like that's a, a very common thing for that women have done in their younger days much now i'm not saying it don't happen or anything like i haven't encountered it maybe i should put it that it's, way not it's very old often. wrestling too though like uh, sometimes true. old wrestling just has a different mentality to it like they're not in any hurry to get where they're going necessarily that's true and fans that's i true. think fans expect <laughs> had different expectations at the time too so yeah, then, um, that's fair. We're gonna jump ahead a couple years. This is this is um so this is this is the beginning of 1985. So we're gonna kind of set the scene for this. This is a Ric Flair promo. So um, Ric Flair is the world champion at this point, and he had um I think he regained it from Harley Race in '83. So he's about a year in, and Wahoo had won the United States title in a um. I think a tournament at some point in 84 and was the U.S. champion. So uh, Wahoo was a heel at the time. And he's cutting these really great, like, bitter promos about how he deserves, like, a title shot. Mm-hmm. But what was great about the character at the time is is he was he was doing all this bitching about how he didn't get a world title shot. But then he was turning around and he wouldn't give Magnum T.A., a title shot like on really like flimsy ground so he was being like this really like great hypocrite about it yeah um so this is so what had happened leading into this promo is wahoo had jumped him like at a house show oh okay and this is them talking after i think he like busted flare open and stuff and um i put this on here just because i remembered it when i watched all the 85 tv a couple years ago because i really liked it because i actually think it's a very superb flair promo because he's not like it's not like the caricature of flair like he starts off soft-spoken and he kind of gets madder as it goes along Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's he... pretty much flair flair's talking about how he used to like respect like wahoo and it's pretty much just like you know come at me like a man like i don't care about like money titles or anything like just get in the ring with me and like let's go at it yeah um the 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 biggest thing i have about this is i wish they hadn't shot it in like an in an echo chamber because 
God, the echo in the in the room they shot it in is is hard to get by. It's like I'm kind of like sorting through. Like it's it's a really good promo. You know, it's just it's this fiery babyface promo that that starts with this slow burn and then ramps up and ramps up and ramps up. Like that, it's really good. I just I wish they had better acoustics where they shot it. I like how he did that bit of a crack in his voice at that one point because he got so worked up. Yeah. I mean, I like that, too. Flair throws that in every now and then. Yeah. And I like that he had some babyface edge, though, because at the end he's almost taunting him. He's like, I have what you want. Like, you're just the U.S. champion, and I'm the world champion, and I know that bothers you. Like, I like the edge he had, like, to his promo. Yeah. His promo was not, and and I know this was in Foley's first book, and I think it was in Jericho's first book too. But the the thing that I like about the promo is it doesn't cut the other guy down. It's like you meet him where he is, but you don't admit that he's going to get over on you. You say it's like, oh yeah, I know you've got this, but I got this. I'm going to teach you a lesson. You don't be like, oh, you know, I'm going to bust you down because you're a worthless sack of crap. Because then, you know, who cares? No no one cares if they're a worthless sack of crap because if you beat them, you didn't do anything noteworthy. Yeah, a lot of a lot of old old school guys have said that. I, I, I don't know. If, I think Cornette has probably said something like that before or maybe mm-hmm. someone else. But it's like it, it's it's very like simple logic but you'd be surprised like people cutting promos like again you're not trying you need to get your opponent over because yeah otherwise like if, if you're booked to like beat your opponent if you, if you present him as like a joke then what have you accomplished nothing like no one cares like you beat a great you beat a you beat a job or you beat a schlub yeah you have to you have to build the other guy up it's like yeah like you're you know you're tough you're like you're the champ you're the u.s champion like you're, you're you hype the guy up and then be like you know what though you're not as good as me like you can, you can totally do that. You can build the guy up, make it seem like he's a real threat, but then get cocky and be like, "Well, you know, even though you're a real threat, I can still beat you because I'm the best." It's so simple, yeah. but you know, it, it, guys don't seem to get that. Not every guy. I mean, I, obviously there are people who do it, but the Miz doesn't get it, and he's been in business for 15 <laughs> well, years. There's a lot the Miz doesn't. But get the Miz, like how to the be Miz's gimmick. Or... The Miz's gimmick is that he is. A, a delusional shithead. So he's this idea. He's like, no, I'm Hollywood's next big hit. Dude, the only movies you've been in are the ones produced by WWE Studios and their sequels. <laughs> <clears throat> but, you know, he's insisting on that. And he's saying, oh, I'm so good. And you're not like he's delusional. He yeah, and, and the problem and, is he wins all the time. That's part of the charm. Insist on pushing him constantly. <laughs> Again, it. In concept, I, I lean on. I, I always refer to the ninety percent rule. You know, nine out of ten times, it's this way. In this particular case, one thing Flair could have done that, that he he didn't, because that's not what he was going on. But if he wanted to bust Wahoo down, for him to say, "You're going to come after me. You're going to claim a title shot when you're too much of a coward to do the same thing yourself," like legitimate criticism. You're not making anything up. You're pointing out exactly what they're doing. I consider that fair game too. 
you know, if you're the baby face, you don't misrepresent it, but you, you call it what it is and point that out and say, you know, you don't get to, you don't get to call me that when you do the same thing, you hypocrite. But that, you know, he didn't go that way and that's fine too. And just for some more context, Wahoo eventually goes on and does lose the title to Magnum TA about a month and a half after this, maybe two months. I think this might have been in January, and then he loses to Magnum TA in March. This is a weird point, though. So this is this is this is in that period right before they get the the TBS deal, and they kind of like merge with Georgia. So like, it, if you watch the TV, it's really weird because like it's it's like Mid Atlantic and january and february and then in march you get like the midnights coming in and like all these georgia guys coming in and then it turns into like the the product you kind of know from tbs like it within Mm -hmm. a couple of weeks it's really it's really interesting so then um we're gonna finish off the night with the main event um so this is this is from the 12 28 1985 uh world championship wrestling episode this is rick flair defending the title against uh ron garvin or ronnie garvin mm-hmm. and this would be um uh, how best to describe this this would be two men just beating the shit out of each other for about 20 minutes yeah that, that's an accurate way of putting it this is so i i i've seen this match before like i've seen like all of the 85 tv for jcp and um, this is kind of the match where I think I finally raised an eyebrow and was like, oh, like, I get why I thought Ronnie Garvin sucked because Ronnie Garvin is old in all the footage that I had seen of him to this <laughs> point. And he was he was like he was like a tough motherfucker. And this match was awesome. Mm hmm. Just to, this is this is an odd aside. Um it's it's not this isn't a problem but you i think that it it tells quite a bit in that this is i think this is in an era where hitting somebody with a closed fist was still like a big deal <clears throat> you don't see these guys bop their fist and hit each other they're like flares chopping like flares flares being more flary like you would expect them to be but Garvin, for the most part, his his shots are open hand. Uh, He's kind of doing like an overhand, like an overhand, like chop down, whereas Flair is doing like your typical knife edge. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they just, like you said, they they're just the what I had in my notes is they are chopping the absolute fire out of each other. Because um, that that's what happens for a lot of this matches. They are just wailing away. And I like that I like that Garvin's like giving it back and Garvin's getting a little dirty and like gouging the eyes and stuff as like the match is going. Mm-hmm. He's been provoked. So now it's be- yeah. in the eyes of the fans it's become fair game. But this I mean, this is I've seen a lot of studio wrestling. Like actually this wasn't the first one I was gonna go. I was gonna do Terry Taylor and Tully Blanchard from the same year. But um Mm-hmm. This uh, this is probably one of my favorite studio matches of all time, mm. just because like I couldn't imagine this like being on your TV in 1985 and like just seeing this quality of wrestling like out of the blue. Mm. You think Flair and Garvin are just like you know what? 
let's just go go ham. I think um, I think Flair was talking about working. It might have been Wahoo or Greg Valentine or something on some loop, and he said his chest used to get infected because of like all the chopping Ooh. they would do. Damn. Ooh. Yuck. Yeah. I, I, yeah, the only, the really the only way to have good chops where you get the sound is to actually do it, to actually lay it in. You can work a chop. Um, we, I, there was a guy that I did it with that, um, he would work whenever we, he was, he was setting up for a, a baby face comeback. He would work the chop. So he's not really laying it in, but that's because the idea is that, you know, sell it. Oh, okay. You know, he, you know, he puts you in the corner and he'd, he'd wheel back to chop, but then he'd gimmick it. So he's not actually chopping you. But then the idea is you can look down at it and look at him and like it's an angry look in your eye and he can do it again. And everyone is immediately going, oh, that ain't working. And then you fire up and go at him and it's like, okay, it, you know, it plays right into it. But usually, but if you want the chop sound, you actually got to chop the hell out of them. But like I said, I really enjoyed this match. There's an ending angle. Like, everyone runs in. It's your typical, like, <laughs> finish at the time. Especially when the horsemen were just, like, getting off the ground. Because mm-hmm. you kind of got to sell the fact that they, they won't shoot straight on anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't think they really did, like, a ton of moves, did they? They pretty much stuck to, like, the the hitting each other. Uh, they did a lot, but they, as the match went on, they started adding more moves in. Yeah, because Ronnie Garvin got, like, a really good pinning combo on him I really liked. There was, I can't, oh, Garvin put a sleeper on Flair, and Flair broke it with a shin buster. Oh yeah, I remember Which that. Was a, that was good. That was a nice, uh, nice transition. And what I liked here, though, what I think I liked here is this was very. This wasn't like a flare match and how you would think of it. Like if you had like a preconception of what you think a flare match is, this is not it. No. Uh, no, no, it's not. This. Um... This is a bit grittier and less polished than you would expect a, uh, a, a quote-unquote typical flare match to be. Yeah, and that's okay. What you, th- you think of it, Matt? So I'll be I'll be honest with you guys. Like I watched this like a very late at night, um, like at one in the morning. Oh, so uh, I so was brain dumped it. I was just so exhausted from. I watched this like last night, but I was so exhausted from the weekend and the workday. I was basically falling asleep during it, not because it's uh, an uninteresting or boring match, just because I was just exhausted. So I don't remember everything about this. I just do remember them just like just seemingly stiffing the shit out of each other. I know they weren't <laughs> really, but just a lot of like really. I mean, uh, wasn't what was what was Garvin's nickname? Wasn't it like? Hands of Stone. Hands of Stone. Yeah, there you go. Is that because... I'm sorry, Matt. Go ahead. Uh, he... I I do... I have seen, like, a, a decent amount of of the NWA Jim Crocker promotions, like, back in the late 80s. And I actually remember liking Garvin a lot. Like, he 
it's regrettable that he kind of just got like a whatever run in the WWF, even though that was pretty much like at the end of his career. He's a ref for a lot of it. Yeah, it, I mean, he was already like in his. By the time he even went there, he was like already in his forties. So he kind of, it was kind of like on the tail end of his career. But he was a dude who it's like he's that's he's like a really great kind of underrated worker. It's like he's not the flashiest, but he's a dude who can count on having like good matches, and he was believable as just like a a bruiser. Like if this... I liked his accent. His accent made him sound tougher. Mm-hmm. I think it's hilarious that they, for the law. I mean, we're we're fans of pro wrestling. When pro wrestling has had a long time, you know, storyline, <laughs> storyline, uh, scenario where uh, you know a guy named the Undertaker is brothers <laughs> with a guy named Kane, and the drama is that you know one of them may have killed the other the parents <laughs> and it's it's this it's so family family relations are as bizarre as they come in wrestling but i i think it's hilarious and and odd that a guy like jimmy garvin <laughs> it was presented for years as the brother yeah of ronnie of ronnie garvin even though it's like jimmy speaks with a southern accent you had ron garvin with a clearly like quebecois accent Mm-hmm. And like the dude is from Montreal, like come on. But well, I think it's even funnier too when uh, you realize like Sunshine was um, Jimmy Garvin's cousin. I mean, well, I mean, they played brothers, but Ron Garvin was actually like his stepdad. <laughs> wow! People don't realize. Wow! You oh, you didn't know that? No. That's oh, no. Uh, just my such God! A I didn't realize you knew that. No, like. Ronnie Garvin is Jimmy Garvin's stepdad. There's not that. There really isn't that. And what's really odd is like there really isn't that much of an age difference between them. So, you know, I don't. So that was kind of like I guess so. That reminds me of one of my favorite lines um, from Futurama is when I don't remember what episode it was, but Farnsworth was dating a younger woman. And he's like, people say I'm robbing the cradle, but I like to say she's robbing the grave. <laughs> I don't. I wow. I thought it was like well known. Now, I might have known that at some point, but it's hard to tell because like wrestling gets into really like weird, screwed up familial situations. Yeah. I. Ron Garvin just is kind of. I actually have like a soft spot for him. Maybe it's because I saw a lot of like the like 1980s uh, like Jim Crockett promotions, like NWA stuff like that. When he was teaming with Barry Windham. Yeah, just like having matches with Flair, just like him, you know, just randomly you know, fighting dudes on on like the the TV show. I, 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 he's like dude, like if if a guy like him, what? excuse me, like, was around now. Uh, and let's say, like, let's do the caveat that he's, like, an older guy. Like, he's a veteran, but he's not, you know, he's not really doing a lot. Like, he would still be, like, a fantastic hand to have in, like, a promotion like AEW or Ring of Honor or TNA, something like that, where he could be, like, just, you can count on him to have, like, good matches, maybe to throw him in there with, like, younger guys, like, get them over. And he'd still be, like, a really entertaining, like, just a dude you can, like, throw in there as, like, an anchor. Like, just have him he, I, yeah. That's why I really feel like uh, in in the end, like that dude's legacy is kind of like that. Like you just a guy you could count on to have like some entertaining matches or put in there to 
you know, work 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 with some guys, like get them over or just put some shine on someone. Like, I mean, you need like utility guys, but not utility in the sense that they're just like jobbers. Like they're they're believable, you need, legitimate. You need guys. You need guys like him that you can shoot up the card in a pinch, mm-hmm. who can credibly challenge for the title, but also it's believable for someone like maybe in the mid card to be feuding with and beating them. Like you need a guy with that. I'm trying yeah. to think of guys who fit that niche. Like Hacksaw Jim Duggan it, in WWF, like was a good example of that. To yeah. me, that kind of guy is he's he's probably gonna fall into one of two one of two molds. Either he's going to be this just intensely tough tough guy it's a hard time putting people away or he's going to be a glass cannon where his offense hits like a truck but you mm-hmm. can if if you get a hold of him you can level him um which in in both for the uh, you know for the general purposes that works out well you know if you got a guy who's just massively tough but he doesn't have as much of a handle on his offense uh or or Mick Foley was great for that. Mick Foley was intensely tough, but you know Foley had to kind of get the ball rolling in order to put someone away most of the time. Um, but you know he could be anywhere on the card feuding with with just about anybody. Um, as for the glass cannon, oh, I'm now I'm grasping for an example. I have the concept, but I don't have an example for it. That, that that concept kind of comes and goes, I think, in wrestling, just because, um, just because by nature of it, like the glass cannon's gotta last sometimes. Yeah, but I mean, and how dare you not mention Greg Valentine? Because we all know oh, he needs twenty uh, minutes to get warmed up. Sometimes. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Ugh. I, I never get tired of that joke, even though I don't think he ever had a 20-minute match in the WWE. <laughs> you know, let's let's make it full circle. Like, speaking of Greg Valentine, like, I haven't seen really any of it except for, like, promos, but his feud with Wahoo is, like, legendary. I think I've seen and I actually match. Own- I, I own a t-shirt that says I broke Wahoo's leg. And I actually, I wore it once, just like randomly out. And some dude was like, oh my God, I love your shirt. It's like, wow, that's that's a really, that's a true wrestling fan. Like you really yeah. even even get like the, the, what, the, what the shirt is actually referencing. <laughs> so, you know, he broke, um, he bro- broke Chief J Strongbow's leg too. And it was not nearly as good because... Um, as we all know, and is a well-established a... fact on this show, is Chief J. Strongbow is a useless piece of shit. He's awful. <laughs> Legit, he one of the worst workers I've seen. He's—I yeah. mean, it's only because like people like Nails exist that you know he might. <laughs> Nathan Jones. Actually, Nathan Jones might be him. the worst thing I've ever seen. Oh no! Wait, I'm forgetting the Irish assassin exists. Oh, yeah, that, you yeah. can't forget about the Irish assassin, man. Come on, that's ponderously bad. Whew. Oh god, I give Samson some benefit of the doubt that I might think Samson might be okay against like a competent opponent, but 
Irish assassin I don't think was even trained. I don't think he was, no. (sighs) Who was that guy who, like, had that, like, compound break of his leg in that indie show, like, before COVID? Oh, oh, God. That that was what? Both of his legs, wasn't it? Was that the dude who jumped in then? Yeah, and, like, grasshoppered. I I can't. I watched that once, and then I was like, I can't watch that. Not just even referencing it. For those who don't know, there was a guy who... This was uh, this is kind of like a, it went semi-viral. Uh, it was like an indie show. The dude was on like the top rope or the second rope, whatever. He just like posing to the crowd, then you know does a spinning jump into down, just like just down to the ring. And I don't know what the hell happened, but he literally like he landed wrong, and both legs, literally both knees, bent the opposite way, the way they're not supposed yeah. to bend. Dude landed and, with his knees locked. How do you, how do you, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how you do that, but it, yeah. it, it is I, wait, one so of the worst So you're saying essentially, Shad, is he didn't, he yeah. didn't like follow through on What's his that? landing and just like landed straight and everything broke. Yeah. Yeah. He landed with his knees locked. That's, that's absolutely the, the exact thing you never do. It reminded me of the Anderson Silva leg break where he didn't follow through on his kick and he cracked his shin bone and he like just fell back on his leg, which was like had nothing left. Oh, oh. or the, the the worst one is um, I think the worst break I ever saw was we're not going to talk about the Thyssen one because that was horrific. But that dude, I think, was it the national championship game? Like the Louisville player that busted his leg during the basketball oh, game. Oh, God. And, like, there are players, like, puking on the sidelines and stuff. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. uh, I I am not, like, a particularly... Or Sid. Sid was bad, too. Oh, oh. Sid's bad. Sid's is really bad. Oh, God. Sid's one of those ones I can't watch again. And just, like, like again, the dude of the indie show, like, I can't really watch it. Afterwards, I'm like, I really wish I hadn't seen that. Like, I'm not... I don't like gore, but I'm not a particularly squeamish person like if i'm watching a, a like a horror movie and it's gory like that's fine because i know it's fake like that doesn't bother me at all real gore like i don't like it but i can i can see it but any sort of like joint injury yeah. Yeah. or if it's like a bad break where it's like the leg is just dangling or something like that it's like uh, i i can't that that skeeves me out it just like ugh. <laughs> I'm not a gore person, but due to my job, I sometimes have to deal with um, pictures of severe injuries, and um, it. So it it's not an uncommon thing that I've ever had to say before. It's like, oh, that's a decapitated head. Well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take this PDF document and I'm gonna go about twenty pages ahead and see if that that head is gone. Like, oh fuck, it's still there. Like, let's just go another twenty pages ahead. <laughs> Um, so it, it comes up sometimes like I, I actually, that doesn't bother me. It's like the burns and stuff that, uh, that can skeeve me. Just don't ever go look up leg breaks that are attached to Muay Thai. Uh, or, uh, yeah. Cause that, cause it's like a, cause like when it, when you break a shin, like, and you, you try and step on that leg, it kind of oh. looks like a, like a big boot with nothing in it. Is kind of how it folds up. Yeah. Like, so um, it, it that requires the kind of repair that like Samuel Jackson had as Mister Glass and Unbreakable. Yeah. Like and um, 
I haven't seen a good impaling in a while, actually. Um, I'm... Job. God, Brad. Jeez, man. It's not bad. Like, I... 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 I, I I work with claims if, if you're wondering, um, actually that stuff doesn't bother me so much. It's like, it's like when you get to work and it's, it's like first thing in the morning and the first thing you pull up is like a kid drowning in a pool. That's the stuff. Oh, Jesus Christ. Cause that's, that's happened before. Um, where it's like, Oh, kid drowned in a pool. It's like, God damn it. It's not, I haven't even been here. That, 10 that's minutes, when like, I turn around and look at the boss. And I, I can't today. I, I started on the phone oh, thing. Yeah. I, I would leave. Yeah. I'd be like, I can't No. I'm I'm gonna take a personal day. The worst, the one I used to hate is I would look at some and it was it was specifically like vehicle related, and like all day it was just old people backing into things. I'm just like I've lost all faith in humanity. <laughs> <laughs> like the number of people that back their car into their own garage, like trying to like exit, it's just like oh my gosh, like guys, come on. Well, I mean you are you are like getting the very worst in in the role that you're in so or um the it's always fun too and it's like oh this is an animal hit like yeah they probably hit a deer like hit a cow it's like oh my god like how did you do that the cow didn't move no oh god (laughs) or someone (laughs) or someone that is i saw one like (laughs) go ahead go ahead brad I saw one where they where they totaled their car on a mountain lion. I'm like, oh god. Oh, that's impressive. That that yeah. actually that makes kind of sense. You know, they're pretty stealthy. It's not like you probably see them coming. There was my wife was going to work once, and I don't know how the deer got on the freeway, but the deer like. I think went head first into the windshield of a car mm. and like gutted itself and bled out in this car. And like, there was all this hubbub because that like, I mean, it was like, I'm pretty sure they took like the whole front of this car out. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, I've seen some hits from, I mean, a deer will, a deer will yeah. trash your car. Oh yeah. Easily. You know, the plus side, the totaling your car, hitting a mountain lion is you can tell everybody from that point on, you killed a mountain lion. That is true. <laughs> and they go, you did? Yep. How'd you do it? That's Hit not it important. Car. <laughs> That's not you, important. You know, I was, I'm curious on the cow one. I don't know. I'm actually surprised they survived. Because you'd have to think, like, if you're going at any speed, a cow would just, would be like hitting a brick wall. Well, it's, it's, how old was, if you remember, how recent was the, the car model? I don't remember. Okay. I, I mean, usually it's newer stuff. The worst is when, the worst though, is when you see someone like totaled their like brand new like car of like the same year and you're just like, oh. Yeah. Like, dude, you. The, okay. But here. So what I was going to say is that the reason that you can get away with a lot of that is um, Volvo invented the crumple zone. For, okay. in their cars and then they didn't patent it because they were like okay the smart thing that you know we could patent it and make money off of it but we're not going to so other car companies will use it and and protect their passengers so the difference between you know hitting something with like a 1950s you know block of steel kind of car where you're you're like a hammer hitting an anvil like you just hit real hard and blah is that and 
the like the front part of the car is intentionally collapses and there are some of them where the engine block even like when you have that kind of stuff the engine block drops straight out so it doesn't get pushed back into the cab so that absorbs all of that impact and yeah it sucks because you're coming to a very rapid and i guess in some cases incredibly bloody stop but the um that that's why they're designed that way and that's why cars cost so much more than they used to is all there's a lot more safety stuff that comes standard that they have to put in and this is if you're listening to this still because i know we just went off into the weeds a bit um is someone is someone that that reads a lot about auto accidents due to their job if if you're coming up against a fluffy critter like a dog or a cat or a raccoon or a cute little bunny rabbit uh, my advice is run the damn thing over because if you swerve, you're going to go right into a utility pole or a person or another car, and you're probably not going to come out of that unscathed, just from what I read on a daily basis. Yeah. Like I think I think someone in my in my um, department says it correctly. Like sometimes Fluffy just got to die. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but like you gotta just be aware and don't don't swerve because you're probably gonna do worse things than hit yeah. a small animal, especially a squirrel. Just run the damn squirrel over. Yeah, I, I don't have any sympathy for tree rats. No, and they carry uh, the plague. <laughs> what was that, Matt? I uh, I just looked it up. Uh, yeah, it depends upon the breed, but generally on in the united states the average weight of a mature beef cow is 1200 pounds the average weight of an adult dairy cow is 1500 pounds so Mm -hmm. if you're hitting one of those i mean damn you're hitting a car Mm -hmm. almost i mean that's that would do a lot of damage a lot more damage than a deer and i mean cars get absolutely wrecked hitting a deer yeah yeah. Uh, can I also I, say something, uh, Shad? I was going to say, uh, that joke that you told, that was uh, a friend of the show, Chris. <laughs> if he was to make it, because Chris's handle on Twitter and other places is Zach Malibu. If, if we were to, if that was Chris saying that, we'd call it a Malabomb. It'd be an absolute just bomb of a joke. I'd just call it a classic dad joke, but. It is a dad joke. Yeah, it's very much a dad joke, but. The the fun thing about dad jokes is you're not looking for the laughs, you're looking for the oh responses. Yeah, you need to do you just when you when you're getting ready to launch one of those, you need to do like the Rainier Wolf Castle. That's the joke. <laughs> or I like I don't know, it could just be like the AEW exploding ring that didn't explode. Oh God, you know the to to go into that for just a second, the hell of it that bothers me. More than it, like, okay, so it 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 farted. It didn't go over, right? You know, botch or the pyro guy screwed it up. Whatever. I'm not I'm not exactly sure, but the crux of it is the fact that Eddie Kingston was doing this great character work right up to the moment that that the countdown ended, mm-hmm. and and now I'm like, like if anybody's could save this with a promo i'd say it'd be any kingston but it's like oh this had so there was so much potential there like if the whole thing had gone off 
then like I don't know a month or two down the line, all of a sudden the music hits. Here comes Mox and Kingston walking down the aisle, and everybody looks and their eyes get huge because they see death has come back for them or something like that. I liked um, when they did the Anita Funk one and FMW how they're doing like the countdown and Funk can't get out of the ring and Anita like runs in and like lays on top of him to protect him as like the ring explodes around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they're allegedly going to be covering it Wednesday night. So I'm going to let's see what they do. I feel like if they actually give the stick to Kingston, somehow Kingston can save it. He can like salvage it. He can, <laughs> he can offer like a a realistic explanation and, and his promo I think you work just a lot. Gotta, I think you just have to apologize to everyone and blow the ring up with someone in it. <laughs> just do it over again. Just like, yeah. We're going to make just do. Toss, have, uh, just toss Guevara in there. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I I'll I'll trust Kingston to to bring something out of it, even if he's like apparently sold after it was nothing. Like sold, it. he's just like, yeah, I'm laying there in the ring because I can't believe that that's what happened and everything that went down. Seeing this happen to my friend, what I was willing to do, and the adrenaline crashes, and I'm laying there and I can't believe this happened. You know, something like that. He says, but what you won't be able to believe is going to happen, Omega, you know, something, 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 you know, Eddie's going to kill you or something like that. I, God, I would be, I I am so on board with an Eddie Kingston run with the title. Uh, I, I, I can't, I can't really articulate it. I just, I just think it would be so good and I want it. I, they also had Maki Ito show up. Is Britt Baker's partner? Can you so, give yeah. a little background on her? Because I, I don't, I don't have the context. She's so she's pretty much like she was a failed idol yeah. in Japan, but she's kind of like, um, do you know what baby metal is in she's, Japan? She's so like uh, doing the baby metal gimmick. Let's assume like, I don't. <laughs> okay, so baby metal is pretty much cute girls singing death metal. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they dress like school, like they dress all cute and they come out and then they start singing death metal. And like, that's kind of like the point of it. So she's, she's not like, she's not like a death metal singer. Like she's kind of this, she comes out, she sings, she acts all cute and stuff. And then she like, like she does like her like pre-match thing. I don't know if she's in AEW. She's like, she does like a teardrop off her face, like with her middle finger. Mm -hmm. And she's the one where she was like duking it out with this girl and like gets head kicked and like struggles to her feet and has nothing left. And all she does is gives her like the double finger before she gets head kicked into oblivion. Mm. She like, that's God. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's kind of like her. She's kind of like a meme girl, but she's also like, uh, like I'm going to be cute and meme, but then I'm going to like, just duke it out with you relentlessly. I'm i I'm not as familiar with her work. Um, from people who have watched way more Joshi than I do, um, they say like her in-ring work is like not. It's like okay. It's like not great. Um, she's confident. She's I, confident. She's not like a high-end worker. Though. I'm sure that's true. Um, but but you also have to like Japanese Joshi. There are some Japanese Joshi workers that are just like absolutely phenomenal. Like uh, I'm gonna. I'm going to try and order a show 
uh, actually off Jeff Lynch. Uh, it's the most recent. Let me look it up. I think it's the most recent, like one of the most most recent like Stardom shows. And apparently, like every match on the show is like getting rave reviews. Oh, yeah, Stardom's really good. The thing with her though is is a Joshi worker. She's confident, but if she came. She worked in AEW or she worked in like WWE. She'd be top flight in both companies. You're probably pretty good, but the thing about her is that she has just has like a ton of actual like charisma, and she could just get over just on the charisma and like the, her antics in the ring, like her character work, because that's yeah. already like getting a lot of hype on social media. She got a she got a pop for coming out for the pre-show yeah there's i mean she's getting hype online um to the point where it's really i'm really exciting that you know we're going to be exposed to her at least for like a little bit i imagine you know if she's actually here in the states she's gonna they're gonna do a little bit with her because if you're not you don't bring people over uh during the pandemic from japan if they're not going to actually be here for a little bit and a little bit can only be like a month or so but yeah it's and she knows like mm -hmm. like i think jim Cornette shit on her and then she like mm -hmm. She was like subtly trolling him, like in her oh, like, yeah. funny way. <laughs> she's uh, she's a little savvy, and she's uh, she's definitely like <laughs> working social media to get herself over, and that's a great idea. Like, uh, one thing that I don't know if you saw, I think it just dropped today, but uh, online there's been a lot of like chatter with uh, with different wrestlers on like Twitter and social media, um. And I know that the Dark Order was trying to be like, oh, you know, like it'd be great if like Maki Ito could, could come to the United States and join the Dark Order. And she was kind of like, you know, going back and forth with them, like just humorously on Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, and they just dropped the most recent uh, being the Elite. Uh, and of course, she's in the States now. She was she did. Uh, I think it was like the dark match on. She did like the the the, the pre-show. Yeah, the pre-show on thing. on the AEW Revolution show, and she's actually going to be in a match on Wednesday, Wednesday's Dynamite this week. Uh, but anyway, like Anna J, if you don't know, is injured. She has like a, some sort of like a, sh a shoulder separation or some sort of a shoulder injury. It's a fairly long-term injury because it was really unfortunate because mm -hmm. she was really starting to catch catch on. Uh, she, I think, will be fine. You know, as long as she doesn't have any injury that uh, prevents her from coming back, which it doesn't sound like that's the case. No, it's just the problem is, though, especially like when you're just starting to break through, like even a setback of like a couple months can really like it's hard. It's hard because sometimes you just can't catch that magic again if you mm -hmm. miss a little time. Yeah, that's true. Um, hopefully it doesn't affect like her in-ring progress. I think otherwise she's going to be fine because she's. She is absolutely gorgeous. Like, just she's one of those. Not to obviously you're not trying to make it all about looks, but looks are. It is wrestling is still a cosmetic industry. And I call it a. Um, I call wrestling. Wrestling's a meat industry. Mm. And I I hate when people get on that because like they always seem to aim it at like solely the women. But like if you hear anyone talk about male <clears throat> wrestlers, like their bodies always like. Yeah, in one of the er, the first things they talk about, like their body. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I think that's what people have to understand is like you need to be sensitive to like not body shame people. But wrestling is a meat industry. True. Like um, like if um, if if you know some truck driver with a pot belly can do like a like 
you know, all the moves. Like, he's never going to get anywhere because he has a pot belly and he's probably balding. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, has man tits and stuff. Like, that's... Like, you have to be really good to overcome that um, and get somewhere in the industry because you have to, male or female, you have to have some some level of physique. It's like the yeah. difference between Earthquake and Typhoon right there. Like, one of them took off and was notable and the other not so much and yes. but they you know they're having a similar physical look but John Tenta was just so good but yeah, yeah it's, and, it's a very visual yeah. very very visual uh, yeah but I, that's that's how I describe wrestling is just a meat well Hollywood's a meat industry too though really when you think about it it doesn't have to be but it is it is. It's more of a meat industry now than it was even when we were kids because, like, when we were kids, like, they would still cast ugly people for things in movies. Yeah. Or sitcoms, and they don't do that anymore. Yeah. Do you, do you remember how big of a coup it was when, when Mike and Molly got on the air and then Mike and Molly turned out to be really popular? Like, weren't people really pissed off about that, too, that they cast fat people for that? I remember there being, like, they're being bitchings and like yeah. critic stuff about. Like, it. I don't want to see like that on my TV, about. and that turned out to be just massively popular because you know my wife and I tried watching that show, and we got pissed off at it because like it tricks you in the first couple episodes and makes you think it's not going to be your typical sitcom relationship, and then within three episodes, it's a typical well sitcom relationship. But you know I, what? What I was really getting at is just that some people watch it and they watch it and they feel better about the fact that they can identify with those characters. It's part of what made Roseanne work is it wasn't a perfect family. They had problems. They, you know, you could identify with them. Well, they could be any slob that, like, lives next door to you, too, like all of them. Yeah. So, or, you know, they could be, or they could just be somebody who's got a condition that puts on extra weight or something like that, and that's fine. It's just the fact that so many shows won't do that won't put someone like that in or movies unless it's the butt of a joke is is what's frustrating is you know it's like they all have to look like this it's like yeah. it, you you start encroaching into uncanny valley when everybody looks like that in your medium right like, like yeah I just hate when, um, with that stuff, when, like, you can tell, like, the plastic surgery is just getting out of hand. Yeah. Or the, or what is it, what is the, what is it that the older actresses get on their lips now? Because that just creeps me out. Botox? No, Botox is their head. I think it's collagen. Oh, the collagen. Yeah, that gets creepy. Like, when they get the big, puffy lips. Or when, um. I love the joke they did that about that on Scrubs with Jordan is is because she would do that all the time and then she got stuck in her office and the thermostat was broken so it made the collagen in her lips swell up so big or when or when like or when like <coughs> uh, or when like they're getting older and like they're getting like the Botox and their their head doesn't move right anymore mm-hmm. and you're just watching some movie and like they're having some conversation and like some like dude's like head's not moving right and you you just stare at it the whole time because you're like like that's not right like what's going on like what did you do to yourself yeah that you can't emote if if your muscles are basically frozen in place yeah 
it's just I, I don't know I don't I but I have I, I I've talked about a lot of my issues with modern Hollywood as far as like narrative and like how they cast people and stuff yeah and like if I see Nicolas Cage I just I'm just like no <laughs> oh my god I'm I've seen bits of Willy's Wonderland that came out recently it's so stupid. I don't know how anyone could see the B scene in Wicker Man and ever cast him again. <laughs> I don't think he gives a shit. He doesn't. I don't either. It, he was good in, um, I don't understand, like, he was good in, um, what was that one where he's drinking himself to death in Las Vegas? He was okay Las Vegas. in that. Yeah, he was good in that. But he's never been good in anything he else. He was good <laughs> in, um, in, uh, Bringing Out the Dead. Oh, he's good in The Rock. He's, yeah. A much more competent actor that I think people give him credit for. I just don't. I just think he like he doesn't care. Like he he will take a paycheck. Oh, he's run himself into so much debt that he just grabs for whatever. Or there was an old college humor video about Nicolas Cage's uh, agent, and he's like, "Okay, you're Nicolas Cage. You've done these things. You've won an Oscar. But after doing, and he lists off a bunch of movies, he goes, "We need to be more picky about your roles." So like this script, and he describes the script. He says, "I think we should pass on it." And and he it, the idea is he's talking to Cage on the phone. He's like, oh, "Let's do it." And he keeps agreeing to all these stupid movies. And he's like, "He's like, you need to say no to this, Nick." He's like, oh, I like I like being in movies, Gary. And I'm not doing justice to the video. The video cracks me the hell up. But the phrase "I like being in movies, Gary" is a running gag between myself, my <laughs> wife, and a bunch of friends of mine. Does he does he at least pay his taxes on like um, Wesley Snipes? I don't know that he's got the money to pay his taxes. I think that's why he's taking so many stupid movies is because he he just he's run himself into so much debt that he's got to take these stupid movies to be able to. How do I don't understand that? Like, what he must just be bad at investing. He's because, I mean, super think... bad. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at what point? At what point? Like, at what point have you made enough money that you can't go through it all? Like, I would tend to think if you've made, because he's at least he's got to have at least made a hundred million dollars in his career, hasn't he? Probably, but I mean, you're not thinking big enough. How, how much does it cost to buy a Tyrannosaurus skull to keep in your house? Did he do that? Yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> that's a one-time purchase. <laughs> but he's got a pattern of doing that sort of thing. So he he keeps doing that sort of stuff. I mean, if 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 I if I if like if if I if I had a hundred million dollars, like yes, I would probably buy that copy of Amazing Fantasy number fifteen, and I would probably splurge and get that Detective Comics number twenty seven just to say that I did. But like, I mean, well, no, probably not. Those are a lot. Detective twenty seven's like, is that in the millions yet, or is that still in like the the half a million range i don't know but you're talking about <laughs> buying assets that are that are going to hold value right? what does action go for now action's almost a million isn't it i i i'd have to look i don't know it's all screwed up because when you slab stuff now which i think stupid like putting something in that slab and paying to have them put like an arbitrary number on it like makes everything super expensive now i just um i just looked it up his, his nick, nick cage's uh net worth is allegedly 25 million 
Um, but I'm reading another article that says he has lost over a hundred million dollars over the years. And they, mm-hmm. they claim he's lost it just because he is quote unquote blown much of his money on a variety of things, including million dollar homes all over the world. Uh, this includes haunted, <laughs> haunted houses, <laughs> and Euro- European castles. He bought an Island in the Bahamas, a burial tomb, a Lamborghini, a pet octopus, and Shad, a dinosaur skull. See? What? Uh, what? What is? What? What is wrong with him? Is he? Is he on drugs? Oh, he probably is, but I don't think he cares. I think he's just like a dude who's just like whatever. He likes being in movies, Gary. Uh, I like being in movies, Gary. <laughs> I can't do it. God, I, I, you know, I, I sent you guys the link forever. We're done. You know. I, 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 you know. I can't. I can't. I like being in movies. You know how. You know how I bet I know how he lost a bunch of his money. I bet he watched Jurassic Park and he's funding research too to make dinosaurs. That way, when we do the reboot, then I can be the starring role because this is my all I've funded it. It'll be great. Uh, the other another one I got to give him credit for is the the um, the revisit of Gone in sixty seconds from the early two thousand. I love that movie. I just I I adore that movie. It, it's I have so much fun watching that. But it's one where he's not taking himself too seriously. Also, it has a very young Timothy Oliphant in it, which I didn't realize for a long time. <laughs> Let's see a copy of Action Comics graded CGC 8.5 by certified gratuity company has been sold for one of the highest prices ever paid. For a comic book, just over two million. What do you do with it at that point? Like you've got it. I don't know. What do you do? You like get a custom glass case that doesn't like it's visible, but the light won't degrade the the image and like hang it on your wall. What do you? I don't. I don't know what you do though. You ceremoniously jerk off to it every day. <laughs> I don't fucking know. That's my problem. If 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 I came if I won the lottery or suddenly came into a bunch of money, I'd be like, "But, but why? Why would I do this?" I, but see, I don't know because like, like um, like Cornette has a bunch of old stuff, but he was like, "Yeah, it's amazing, fancy number fifteen, but I sold it because I wanted twenty thousand dollars." Right. That I th- like that's. That's my thing. Like, I have a copy of, like, Giant Size X-Men number one, but, like, there was a point where I was getting all that stuff, and I'm just too lazy to go sell it. But, I mean, like, it just sits in a box somewhere. Yeah. But, like, I was collecting at the time. But, like, I don't know if, like, if, like, I was clearing out my parents' stuff and an issue of, like, Action Comics number one popped out. Like, of course I'm getting that authenticated and, you know making some money you're, off of you'll it. take a picture of it to prove you had it of you with it and then you're going to sell it because you can do more with the money than you can with the valuable object yeah now like now like something like marvel maybe like maybe amazing fantasy number 15 like if i came across one for cheap i'd probably keep it for a while or like if like one day I finally decide to finish my X, like get those last, I think 150 issues of X-Men I need, I'd probably get a copy of X-Men number one. But even with that, like I have the first appearance of Wolverine when I was collecting, 
but it's beat to shit. It's not worth yeah. anything. Like I just have it to say I have it, but I could probably only sell it for a hundred bucks. That, but I don't care. Like I just wanted, I just wanted the stuff. Like I don't. My my copy of Giant Size is actually in good shape though. So yeah, it, it's a that uh, we have the first appearance of Wolverine that's in the same same state. But anyway, um, how the heck did we get here? <laughs> well, I don't know. to finish what I was going to say about um, Maki Ito, uh, okay. and the most the most recent um, being the elite, uh, the Dark Order is um, they're like talking amongst themselves and they're like talking about how Anna is injured. And John Silver's like, oh man, like, what are we going to do? Like, Anna's gone. Like, you know, she's going to be gone so long. Like, what are we, like, we'll never replace Anna. We'll never replace her. And then right at that moment, like, there's a knock on the door and Maki Ito appears. Uh, because there's been like this back and forth with Dark Order. Like, they're like, Maki Ito should join the Dark Order. So she suddenly <laughs> appears and she's like, surprise, motherfuckers. And like, give them the double guns. <laughs> And they're like, yeah, they're like a huge celebration. I'm like, yay! <laughs> and it's like so silly, but it's it works. It's like hilarious. That's hilarious. Oh, we have to talk about before we go. We have to talk about uh, my discovery the other day of the the giant match that appears to have happened in Japan recently. And uh, Matt had about the same reaction to the picture that I did, and that is uh, Kenna Kawashi and Ricky Chosu finally facing off in Street Fighter 2. Uh, yeah, I was like, is that, oh my god, is that Shoshu? <laughs> Shoshu versus yeah. Kenta Kabashi? Yeah, I know, I had the same thing, because someone posted it, like, I'm like, wow, that's legitimately, like, super interesting. Uh, Ricky Shoshu is, you know, retired now, he's older. How old is he? He's got to be, like, at least... He's got to be 60s. At least in his like... 60s. But... He doesn't. I think I follow him on Twitter. Like he doesn't really post a lot, but what he does post, it's like super heartwarming because, you know, he's the dude. Oh, he's sixty nine. Wow, he's almost seventy. He just turned sixty nine. Anyway, he's like, uh, you know, he's like a, a granddad now. So anytime he like posts, it's mostly just like pics of, of like his grandkids. Like like he's really proud of them. It's just like such a it's such a grandfather thing where it's like he's this dude was like you could probably put him up there as one of the biggest stars in japanese wrestling for the last like well you could say ever but definitely like last like 40 years of the 80s and 90s yeah like a big star like i don't how who would you compare him to brad because you probably know like in terms of in terms of like importance and the states like Randy Savage, maybe? Yeah, probably. Something like that, where it's like a dude who... Because he... He, his jumping, like, hit the Ishin gun jumping to All Japan in, like, 85 was, like, a huge deal at yeah. the time. But trying to... Just comparing it to reference for those who don't aren't really familiar with him. Like, think of, like, Savage, where it's, like, a guy who, you know, maybe not as big as Hogan, like, the biggest of the big. Like, iconic, but... Savage was like iconic in his own right, and people still know who Randy Savage is, and he was like a big deal. So it's kind of like that. Like Choshu was like a big deal, but yeah, like his social media is usually just like it's like pics of his grandkids. It's like the, it's like wholesome. It's completely wholesome. You know, truth be told, I kind of want to 
kind of want I want to I want to go to Japan on a vacation one of these years in the near future, and one of my chief one of my chief destinations that I absolutely want to go to is Kawada's ramen shop. Oh, I was yes. wondering if that was going to come up. And and I don't I don't even care if it's bad. Like I just I want to go and I just want to be like like can I meet Kawada and get a picture? <laughs> I bet everyone every like every white dude who goes <laughs> there. Oh yeah, he's probably like. <laughs> His wife probably just like, oh no, another American. Yeah. Like, get out here. Like, they're gonna want to meet you. Yeah. You know. He doesn't look. He doesn't look like the Kawada you'd know, though. But he seems. I. I just think that's. I just think that's. I just think that's. Um. That's. That's interesting, but it's also kind of heartwarming that like, you know, he wor- He did all that wrestling, and now it seems like he's doing like his like dream of being like a cook. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, but yes, I do want to. I do want to go to the Kawada I, ramen shop. Uh, so do I. I mean, I love ramen, so I would. I would honestly just want to go there to eat. But if I could get oh, I would. I would hit all the ramen shops. If I could get a picture with them, like that'd be just you know gravy. But um, I actually because this came up not that long ago on like the uh the observers like observer Facebook group that I'm part of and. They were advertising, I actually think, for next year. They are advertising tickets to basically go to, uh, like, packages, package deal to go to uh, Wrestle Kingdom. Dome. Yeah, to Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. And those packages are not as crazy as you think they are. Like, they're... No, you only need... Um, if, you're, if you're careful with your money, I think you can do Japan for, like, five grand or less. If you just did, like, the... Abs- or like that observer package it's like i think two or three grand um and obviously that's like it's limited you basically be going you, you you're going for a few days and you get tickets to wrestle kingdom but there is some ability to you know do your own exploring but yeah you probably wouldn't be but it's not in it's not in it's not designed for you to basically be hopping around places in japan yeah but it it's actually not a bad deal because you get hotel accommodations, and that includes, I think, like at least breakfast. It's actually not that bad well, of a deal. And if you go to Japan, like the yen's been fairly weak against the U.S. dollar for quite a while, mm-hmm. so um, your buying power does go decently there. Like, I mean, you're gonna, it's, it, you're going to a foreign country, and it's a long flight, so it's going to be expensive. But I mean, I think once you're there, if you w- didn't do the observer thing, like your money will get you decently far as long as you stay away from like the retro video game stores where i'd think i'd screw myself because i'd be like oh my god famicom stuff and then i'd be like well there went two thousand dollars yeah i i would absolutely love to go to japan one day but that's like i would probably try and i because i live in the east coast it's like so it's so far to travel to asia i mean my wife and i did it for a honeymoon and it was literally like it's, hours, it's it's you're losing a lot of time like we had to fly to la to take a flight out and it was one flight that was just to get to like taiwan to then like go on another flight but that the flight to taiwan was like 14 hours it was insane so if you're going to japan it's probably a little bit less time than that but you're still looking at like you're gonna lose like a day in travel both ways easily yeah so if you're going like you 
you want to go for like a and late like time. you're gonna and you're gonna lose a day coming you're gonna lose two days coming back early though because like the next the day you get like the day after you get back you're gonna be jet lagged just to oh yeah the, we we have only we only went to Asia that one time for our honeymoon but it I mean. <laughs> You can say like you're gonna be jet lagged for a day. It was really more like for two weeks afterwards we did like nothing because we were just like tired every day. <laughs> uh, I mean, we're fortunate. Like we we had we had like the finances then to go on trips, and I guess in theory we have like finances now. But it is it is you got the it, you got the childrens though. Yeah, we got children, so it's like it's it's costly. It is costly to go travel overseas, and it really depends upon where you go. Like we were. Before the before COVID, we were going on vacations to like Europe, and that can get very expensive. You know, actually, it's funny. My boss a couple years ago, they she went to France, and she said it was crazy. They got they like through Airbnb, they got like an apartment with air conditioning in the middle of Paris for like eighty dollars a day or something like insane like that. Wow. We. We, the first time we actually went to Paris, we actually did stay in an Airbnb because it just made more sense. And it was like centrally located and we were doing things on a budget and it didn't cost that much. No, if, you, if you're really careful with Airbnb and you're willing to go like – like because we did that last year when we went to Florida. Mm. I think it was only like 50 or $60 a night. So if you're willing to go a little out of season mm. – um, where they're where they're hurting for business, um, you can do pretty well with an Airbnb. Yeah, you just have to like, you you, you have to be like on top of it. You really have to be, <laughs> excuse me, looking yeah. for deals. And the same with rental cars, you can you can make out like a bandit on rental cars if you if you know. It's really sad though with COVID though because like my wife watches the airline tickets and like it's. It's just like, oh my gosh, like we could fly somewhere for like $200 a piece right now. Yeah. That was right in the amusingly, I, I had to, I used my work email to um, set up some of us for uh, tickets to a, it was a conference that was in Orlando and the, it was with Allegiant and the Allegiant sent me emails all the way through COVID. They're like, hey, you could fly to Florida for like 40 bucks a person. And it's just like, hey, that seems like a terrible idea right now. I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, they were they were relentless about that. I wonder what it's going to look like once people are starting, like a lot of people are vaccinated. I wonder if you'll be able to fly internationally cheap. I don't know. Probably. Because um, that is like a big concern now. It's like, uh, I, I don't know. I think there are restrictions that are still in place. Like I have um, I have a good friend who he's in the military. He and his wife literally just before the pandemic started, they moved to Germany because uh, he's stationed there for like, a th- I think, a three-year assignment. Mm-hmm. And they, in, in the meantime of that, like, in I think September they had a child and like the grandparents were originally going to be coming over. But I think because of all the, you know, flight restrictions, like they haven't been able to. So though it's the kid's like five months old now and 
you know, grandparents have only seen them through, like, Zoom. It's really unfortunate. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. So, uh, I, well, we're, I'll bring it back around. So, um, I actually enjoyed the Mid-Atlantic stuff we watched pretty well. I thought the Angle stuff was really strong that we saw. Mm-hmm. And, um, this was a lot of star power through <clears> these <throat> matches. That's true. Lost star power, but I, I I enjoyed this a lot. Like it was, but this was this is more familiar ground because I've seen a lot of the TV. Actually, I need to um, because I bet I bet when WWE moves over to Peacock, a lot of that Mid Atlantic's not going. I need to I need to get me the Mid Atlantic stuff. Apparently, there's a lot of um, whenever stuff moves over to Peacock, things that are on the network right now, like the fact that that like shows are broken up so you can skip to a match. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not going to be a feature that's there. Mm. There's going to be a bunch of stuff that's missing, like we've talked about before. And there's another piece I can't remember what it is. Uh, it might be related to live shows or something. But like they're they're all right. We're going to move over to Peacock. By the way, all that stuff you're used to getting from our now, you know, we're not doing that. I figured they were going to not bring a lot of it over, so then they could. Um, I'm air quotating now. Um, have stuff to premiere. Yeah, I, I I understand what you mean. Yeah, it's like, oh, were you one of those people that was all about the um, hell? I don't know. Uh, it's kind of like how when a video game has a feature you really love and the sequel doesn't have that because they took it out so they could sell it to you as DLC like three months later. Yeah. Thanks, EA. Yes. Thanks, Ubisoft and mm. um, Blizzard and Activision and um, Take Two. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. The yeah, which it it's getting to the. I, I don't I don't hardly ever buy games new anymore. I just wait for it to be out for a little while, mm-hmm. and then they're like, oh, by the way, like that's how I bought almost every Fallout game. Has been it's been out for like a year and they're like, here's the gold bundle that has all of the DLC and the base game and it's on sale so like the whole thing's like ten bucks I'm like yeah I'll play that whereas like fifty bucks new and then twenty bucks for each for three DLCs like no no I don't need that I can wait I mean that's not great for um, you know developers and stuff but I mean as a consumer, like you kind of got to be smart like that. It really kind of is the way mm-hmm. like why, why buy a game? And, and I don't even blame like developers per se. It's more like, you know, the companies, the parent companies pushing stuff out. But I mean, look at yeah. the, look at the issues that had with cyberpunk. Like you, you, yeah. I, I, and I feel like this is common, like, every, like just about every major game now. It's like, it's, we, they put it out and it's like, it's broken or it's unfinished. Mm-hmm. So why, why would I pay like $60 or more? for a game like as it comes out on launch when i can just wait like a year and it's a version that's like free of the bugs and i'm gonna get it like discounted like i nowadays like i i rare it's kind of like i guess on the switch actually makes it really easy to buy games and they have a lot of games that are cheap like Mm -hmm. you can buy like a lot of good games for like discounted prices even like 20 bucks something less than that but 
now I buy games like when it's like Black Friday. It's like, well, this game that came out like four months ago for sixty dollars, I can now get for like thirty. It's yeah. like, uh, I guess if you're a heavy gamer, you're you're just playing everything. Like maybe it's worth it. But for me, it's like I don't have that. I don't have the time yeah. I don't have a lot of time, it. so I might as well. If I gotta buy it, I might as well buy it when it's a complete game and a cheaper price. Mm-hmm. Well, but like some stuff like like Ubisoft stuff, like they. Like the, some of their stuff, they're discounting like a month later. Like I got that Immortal Phoenix Rising game, which I don't think's been out that long. I got that for half off. I, the best recent game release that I can think of in terms of that stuff um, has been uh, when uh, Star Wars Squadrons, because they're like, look, this is. I think it was like. 30 35 40 bucks so like here it is there's not going to be any dlc we'll do some balanced stuff and and there you go that's it and like the only thing they did is they released some um they released uh the tie advanced and the b-wing to go with it but they that was that wasn't dlc you just got it and then they left it alone and you can just play it and it's not a huge deal and I'm like, God, how hard would it be to to just that, right? Like, I with PC, I wait three months because like, there's so many companies that like just release poorly optimized like things that yeah, you know, you're running like a rig that's like above like like you're in like you check your thing and you're like in the 90th percentile with your CPU and GPU. And like it's chugging on there, like on medium settings. Like, uh, I'm gonna wait until about three patches drop, and then you come back three months later, and it's fine. But, um, it's it's aggravating. Or you know, they release something, you have to wait for your stupid video card to get drivers to like to handle their poorly programmed piece of crap. Or someone figures out the one setting you can turn off that makes everything smoother. Oh, I always turn off the the clouds and the the water reflection, which are killers for performance. Like the the the, and, and I don't know why, but the one thing in Borderlands Three that'll kill your performance is the object blur. It, it's yeah. like you turn that off, all of a sudden everything just runs so much smoother. And it's like you know what? Right, the, cool. VSync always goes off on my machine because VSync screws up so much stuff. <laughs> I think that about wraps us up, doesn't it, guys? Yes. All right. So, everybody out there, we want to say thank you for joining us for this episode. Um, If you have any requests, we're open to requests. Please hit us up on any of our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And, um, you know, what do you think? You know, was there stuff we missed out on? Was was there something that we should have talked about with this? We would love to hear from you. And so, with all that being said, this is Shad here with Matt and Brad. We've been in three quarters. You're in the fourth, and we, we will catch you next.